listening to audio from Oasis Church in Winter Haven, Florida. For more information about Oasis Church, please visit our website at www.oasischurchwh.org. And thanks so much for listening. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Luke chapter number 10. Luke 10, Jesus has... He's not abandoned Galilee in this part of Luke's gospel, but he is moving on in his ministry, the latter half, the first half being in and around the the area of Galilee, some to the north of Galilee, even some to the east across the Jordan River, all the way over to the coastal cities to the west. But Jesus has been in the north in the area in which he was born, and well, he was born in Bethlehem, but the area in which he was raised came to be known and then announced his ministry, where his baptism had occurred and, and where he had been teaching and performing miracles and saying things that, that people had never heard before, people that had been raised in the synagogues and taught by the religious leaders and, and those that were responsible for teaching the Scripture. Jesus was saying things in ways they had never heard with authority that made it sound like he knew God himself. Wink, wink. Nod, nod, because we know he is God himself. He is the source of those things that he's teaching. But they didn't know that. Wouldn't even begin wrestling that for a couple of decades from then, that they would even begin thinking such things. But, but he spoke with such authority, and then he would do these works that no one else could do. They had read about things like this through the, through the lens of the prophets and uh, of those of old that they had heard about and had been taught. But, but Jesus was different. Jesus spoke as though his words were equal with God. Popularity was increasing and people were beginning to wonder, could it be that he is Messiah. And as popular as he became, he also became popular in a negative sense because those that were in charge, so to speak, those religious uh, doorkeepers, if you will, those that were in the pocket of Rome, keeping everyone under control, they were hearing things they didn't care for. Jesus was speaking to their very actions, to their very teachings, and calling them contrary to the truths of God's Word, to the promises that were to be made through Messiah. And they weren't having any of it and were rejecting onesies, twosies here and there. But, but if you read the Gospel of John, if, if you read Matthew, you'll discover that, that in that time between Galilee and where we're at today, the religious leaders had come to a conclusion that, that we're not following this Jesus and we're not okay with the things that he's teaching and we are confident that he is not Messiah. And that's where in Luke chapter 9 we discover that Jesus makes the, the turn in his ministry having announced the message of God that the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is at hand. It's ready to be revealed it's among you, and it's ready to be seen and, and held and handled. Jesus makes the turn and sets his gaze, sets, sets his determination, makes up his mind that he's bringing that message, and he's going to Jerusalem where he's already told his disciples he will be rejected, he will suffer, he will be executed, but on the third day, he would be raised. At the time that you think Messiah, if you were in the Jewish world at that time, in the time that you think Messiah would be gathering all of those who would fight for him and then make this great and mighty stand in Jerusalem, bringing all oppression to an end and setting up his throne and sitting down there in the place where his forefather David had set and inaugurate a kingdom that would last forever. Jesus sets his mind to be destroyed. If you've been around church long enough, you know that, that in that destruction, 
would bring about the kingdom that really would last forever. And it would bring about opportunities for folks like you and me to be redeemed and forgiven of our sin, to be brought from death to life, to be led out of darkness into light, to be, to be born and adopted into the family of God, to be called sons and daughters of the Most High. But I'm getting ahead of myself. He sets his eyes toward Jerusalem. And he starts walking. Last week we saw an encounter between Jesus and, and three would-be followers. And how when they ask about following Jesus, he really, he, he talked them out of following him. He, he didn't really talk them out of it. But he did tell them that following me is way more involved than you think. This is going to cost you. Well, what's it going to cost me, Jesus? It's going to cost you everything. But that's okay because in costing you everything, you actually gain more than you ever could have had. And, and it seems that all three of these decided that the cost was too high. Because the author didn't tell us that they left their nets or they left their books or whatever it is they were leaving behind to follow him. It seems as though once they heard the cost, they decided not to follow, which should cause us to be brokenhearted and sad, as I know our Savior was that day. And we reach chapter number 10. And it says, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. As he was walking, and, and, and I'll just tell you this, if, if you read, it's difficult to correlate at times the, the, the three gospels, the Matthew, Mark, and Luke, those are called the synoptic gospels. They're, 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 they're closely related in the story that they tell. You'll find a lot of things in there that actually read exactly the same, maybe in a different order, and you'll ask questions, but those are the three that are tightly united. If you're trying to read John at the same time, you're going to find John's all over the place. John says things that none of the other three says. John gives stories that they don't even mention. And man, trying to follow the chronology, the this, then this, then this of John, it'll drive you crazy because John wasn't all that interested in following that much of an order. He just was telling a story in the way that God was leading him to tell. So it's tough sometimes to correlate the, the three synoptics with John and go, what's happening here? But what I can tell you is that it seems that a lot of things that happen in John happened between this time or on the way from Galilee to Jerusalem where we're headed. There's a lot of things that are happening, but it looks to us like this and this and this and this moves on. In our gospel, the one that we're reading, we, we hear that Jesus selected some folks and sent them out ahead. You go, whoa, wait, wait, where, where have we heard this before? It's not too far away. You flip a couple of pages back in chapter number 9, the first few verses, you'll discover that, oh, okay, as Jesus was beginning to leave Galilee, he identified the 12 and then sent them back as a way for, him, for them to review with those folks everything that they had seen and heard. We think they went out two by two. Jesus sent them back. He gave them authority over uh, evil spirits. He gave them authority over sickness to heal the sick. And, and he also, according to Matthew, gave them the authority and ability to raise the dead. So Jesus gave of his power to them for them to go back and to announce what? The kingdom of God. The kingdom of God in who? In Messiah, Jesus, in the name of this one who had come from Nazareth. So we've seen that Jesus has sent folks back to the place that he had been, but now we're seeing something new. Jesus is broadening the audience. Now, he went from the 12, and then he's going to go to these. It says, uh, and the Lord appointed 72. Well, depending on which translation you're reading, your translation might actually say 70. You go, well, which is which? The honest answer is, we're not real sure. Different manuscripts say different things. And what you'll discover is when you're reading different translations of the Scripture, most of the differences you'll come across have to do with numbers because they can get a little squirrely in translating from 
dead languages into living languages. So it's a little, you know, a little tricky. Bottom line is 72, 70. Does it have anything to do with the story if it's either one? No. It's either 35 groups of two or 36 groups of two. So we're just going to leave it at that. The point is, is that Jesus first chose a, a little small group. Now you guys go out and you communicate my message with my authority. And they did. Very cool. And I'm sure they stumbled and bumbled. I'm sure they came back going, well, we didn't even know how to say it, what to do. But there were some things. And, and he laughed and, and he taught and, and that was cool. But now we see him broadening that. Now he's sending out 70 or more. Which probably doesn't include the 12. These are an additional simuli. What's he doing? He's just broadening the scope. What's he going to tell them to do? Go out there and communicate my message with my authority. You're like, oh, oh, okay, okay. There's some similarities going on. Hey, you know, if you keep reading your New Testament, you'll get through Luke, you'll get through John, and then you'll come to this book called Acts. And all of a sudden, you're going to find that there's over 120 folks up into an upper room that, that are given the person of the Holy Spirit, and they're empowered to do What? Go tell his message with his authority. Even better than that, with the Spirit of the living God. Fueling and equipping and empowering. And can I just give you a free verse that I quite frankly can't right now remember the address of. But it says, greater is he, I know it's in Romans, greater is he, come on Charlie, help me out. Greater is he that is within you than he that is in within the world. Come on, Luann, you know it? Where's it? Come on somebody, help a brother out when I can't remember where these things are at. But bottom line is this. We have the person that darkness trembles at living within us. But I'm way ahead of myself. We, we won't get there for another 10 years. We don't plan on going nowhere. So we'll get there eventually. Okay. Quick question. Can you smell the barbecue? Because I can. All right. So after this. The Lord appointed 72, 70 others, and sent them on ahead of him two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go. Before, he sent them back to review. Now, he's sending them ahead with the message before he gets there. Man, that seems risky to me. That you're going to send these folks that don't know themselves hardly. Have, have probably uh, not all kinds of questions that they have and, and don't know the answers to. Now you're going to want to send them ahead as your advertising crew? Yeah, that's what he did. That's what he did. He said, I'm going to send them ahead. We're going to read through verse 16 this morning. And what we're going to see is that Jesus gives them four insights and four instructions on how to engage in this ministry. It's, it's not going to be real deep this morning. Because what Jesus says, I think, is, is very accessible. Now, we've also got to keep in mind that, that what Jesus is doing right now in this time, it is the same message that we have. It's just not as complete as our message, Okay? So when we read this and we hear what Jesus is saying, he's sending them out on a temporary basis to, to, to expound a message that is the same message that we have, just not as full and complete. And so what we're seeing here, I believe, are some pretty standard principles that are true even if specifically we're not called to these things necessarily exactly like he instructed the 70 or 72. But what we're going to see are some guiding principles through instruction and insight, four of each. Let's go. Insight number one. Verse number two. And he said to them, gathering the 70, 72 around, he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Let's just stop right there. Insight number one. Jesus is letting them know that there is far more work to be done than they can do all by themselves. 
Now, when they look around, they're going, gee, what, what, what harvest? What are you talking about? You're sending us out to do farm work? What is it that you're saying? Jesus says, no, no, no. The harvest that he's referring to are those that will hear the message of the kingdom, that it is ready to be revealed. And when the question from the crowd comes, how do we know in whose name? And they say, in the name of Jesus from Nazareth. Jesus knew that there were going to be many that would hear the message and respond obediently. See, what they didn't have any clue was was how are people going to respond to this? Hey, the culture in Galilee is a lot different than it is down here in Judea, Jesus. I mean, are you going to stay with the stick with the same plan, the same style? You're going to do things the way you did? Look, Jesus says, look, the harvest is plentiful. Y'all don't see it. There are many who will. Now, the reality of fact is that there were many more who would either ignore or outright reject this message of the kingdom. But Jesus knew that there were many who would hear the message and would respond. And I think what he was wanting to make them aware of is, look, when you turn around and you start walking out, you have no idea the amount of harvest that there is out there. You know another aspect that I think Jesus was speaking to that he doesn't make specifically clear here is that when they go out, they were going to be looking for a specific type of person that would respond to the message of the kingdom. You see, they had been taught, they have been brought up with the fact that if you had means, if you had health, if you had opportunities available to you, then that meant that God was showing favor on you and that you were a positive, uh, uh, active part of the family of Abraham. But if you were poor and outcast and diseased, and if you'd been broken by sin and the things that would be considered taboo according to the synagogues, then you were outside of God's favor, and that you would not have been welcomed into the kingdom. See, what I think Jesus is saying to them is the harvest is plentiful. Y'all have no idea how many folks are going to respond to this message. And even bigger, I believe Jesus was saying, and you'll be shocked at where they come from. The folks that you think will respond, the folks that are prime and have all the religiosity and are ready, it seems, you're going to be shocked that they're the ones who aren't going to want to have anything to do with me But all of these outside that have been forgotten and cast out and nobody cares about and everyone disdains, well, they're going to be the ones that hear. And they're going to be the ones that respond. And listen to me, church. They're the ones that Jesus says, get in here. Are you saying, Pastor Kevin, that that God cares more for the broken and the, 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 the outcast than he does those of us who have opportunity. Uh-uh, I'm not saying that. I'm saying this. The ones who are broken and outcasts have a, have, a, have a much greater understanding of their actual situation in life than we do. And they're a whole lot more ready to hear a message of hope than those of us who don't think we need any hope because we've got it all together ourselves. See, I think what Jesus was saying is, y'all, y'all have no idea. I'm sending you out, and you're like, well, what are we going to do? We don't know what's going to happen. You have no idea the scope of the mission that I'm on. You have no idea how massive the harvest is. It's way more than you can do. And you're going to be shocked at who it is that responds and how much it is that I welcome them. Church, let that speak to you. You look around, you say, man, there's just so many churches in Winter Haven. I mean, it's, man, we're just overflow. I remember being in Dallas. Someone had actual statistics in Dallas and said, you think Dallas is the, the, in the Bible Belt? Yeah, a lot of folk. well, Dallas folks think they're the buckle of the Bible Belt. That Texas, that's what they think. 
But I heard someone statistically say one time, if you took every church of all denominations, and I'm not talking about churches that you would agree with, if you took every building that was set aside for the worship of somebody, and you filled it with the people, the population of Dallas-Fort Worth, you would still only be ministering to a very small fraction of a percentage of the population that's there. So every time you think Winter Haven has too many churches and there's not enough fruit out there and we're just wasting our time, just understand, the harvest is plentiful. You'll never wake up in the morning and go, you know what, God's probably not doing anything in my community today. God is at work, and there's far more out there than you can do by yourself. Well, so what does that mean? That means we need each other. That's the way God works. That's first insight. First instruction is right on the heels. You go, he'll never make all 16 verses. You're probably right. (laughs) He said to them, the harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few. Therefore, instruction number one. Well, therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers. Well, when you get up and you go, man, who has he called us to? What did Jesus say on that hillside with those folks looking at him? And and he's about to lift up and what in the world is happening? And he goes, I want you to go into all the world. I want you to preach the gospel to every creature. I want you to make disciples of every nation. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to deserve all things whatsoever I command you. I'm going to be with you all the way to the end. At Oasis Church, we boil those two verses down to Jesus called us to and reach and teach. And you go, how far? All the nations. Well, well, we're never going to be able to get to all them. I know. That's what he said. So look at that harvest and go, um, Lord, can I get some help? I, I love my brother, Eugene. He's talking about, you know, at work, he's constantly going, I need help. And his bosses look at him and go, I get it. And then they walk away, they didn't get any help, you know? And it's frustrating. You know, we serve a God who wants to give more help. But here's, oh man, this is, this is tough now. I understand. I'm not picking on nobody. This, this, this is to me too. How many helpers does God have for the fields that are comfortable hanging out at the house? Right? Like, if everybody on the payroll, so to speak, if everyone benefiting from being in the family of God was up and in the fields, how much could God do through us? Would it be fair to say probably more than he's accomplishing through us right now? Of course it is. So pray to the Lord to bring more laborers into the field. And then I say, not Jesus, and punch in for crying out loud. Pray to God that he'll send us more help, but then make sure your time is stamped. Get in there. Get to work. Make make it a consistent matter of prayer, instruction number one, that God would raise up more laborers and not simply more attenders. Well, how many more folks we got this year than we had last year? I don't know. That's a bad question. I would say, I don't care, but you would hear me saying, I don't care about those new people that come along. That's not at all what I mean. What I'm saying, that's a bad question. How much more is God accomplishing through us, through those that God has brought? Which includes what God is doing through us who've been here the whole time. Insight number two. Verse number three. He says, go your way. Behold, I'm sending you out as lions in the midst of wolves. Second insight, he says, is we, like they, are sent to minister like Jesus who walked as a humble lamb and not a mighty lion in the face of opposing wolves. Unfortunately, We've taken the baton from Jesus. He said, go represent me in all the world. 
All right, in your community. Yes, Lord, I'm going to do that. And I want you to take my message to the people around you. And, and we say, who are you, Lord? You're the Lion of Judah. And we take that baton, and then we go out giving the message of Jesus like this beast of a thing that's trying to conquer the world with the gospel. You say, that don't happen. I'll point you to the Crusades. Read all you want. That's exactly what they were doing. They were trying to conquer the world with the gospel by means of the sword. That's not what Jesus said. Now, that lion of the tribe of Judah, I am firmly convinced he's going to show up. That's where I'm at. But what he's called us to represent is the Lamb of God who takes the message of the gospel into all those places that he has gone and to walk humbly in the midst of wolves. And he tells them, I'm sending y'all out as lions into the opposing wolves. And I'm imagining some of them looking at each other going, lions get eat by wolves. And I think Jesus smiles and says, yeah, they do. But, but what you're going to find out is lambs like me, lambs like me, Get eaten, but get up. So it's okay to be eat, because it ain't over. Just because you've been eat don't mean it's over. It's just part of the process, right? So he sends them out, just like him, who got engulfed by what, y'all making fun of my language, my grammar. I've been here 13 years. When have I ever preached on Sunday with proper grammar, honey? Tell them it's true. Not one time. It ain't a big deal to be eaten. It ain't over. So, insight number two. We're sent to minister as his representatives like Jesus who walked like a lamb. Not like a lion. Hey, when, when, can, I, when can I put on my lion suit? When he does. When he puts on his lion suit, guess what? You'll have on yours too. It's just the way it works out as far as I read it. And then that's when we'll just let him be the lion and we'll be doing this. Yes, Lord. Until then, lamb. 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 Wolves. Yes. Lamb. Instruction number two, verse four. He says, carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals. Now, I don't think he was telling them to go barefoot, all right? I really don't. I think he was saying, wear your sandals, don't take an extra pair. That's what, that's what I think, all right? So take no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, um, and greet no one on the road. Meaning, don't be going, uh, hey, can I... Hold $20, you got some extra I can do. Hey, hey, I'm on my way and I don't know where I'm going. Can I borrow something? No, no. Just go with what you got. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace, I think talking about someone who is a recipient of the message of peace, then becomes identified with that peace. If you come into contact with someone who, who you say, hey, peace be on this house, and they hear your message and they go, that's what I'm talking about. That's what I've been waiting on. I've been waiting on the message of the kingdom. Then great, you'll experience their peace. But if not, it will return to you. Offer shalom, peace. The kingdom of heaven is near. And if they go, I don't care what you have to say, then okay, you've not wasted your peace because God will bring it right back to you. Just be the consistent witness of the message. And who welcomes you in, stay with them. Instructions 2 says, trust God to meet your needs. Don't worry about what you don't have because God will provide. What did Jesus just told the guy on the side of the road from last week? Who said, Jesus, I'll follow you anywhere. Jesus says, the Son of Man has nowhere for which to lay his. He was homeless. He had no plans. He had no reservations made. Does that mean Jesus was not going to sleep? Of course he would. He's just saying, I'm trusting my Father to provide. Now, I want you to go represent me, 70, 72. I want you to go represent me. Don't take, 
Don't take extra money. Don't worry about how you're going to provide for your own needs. You're representing me. You're on mission for me. And I'm on mission from my father. My father's providing my needs, and my father's going to provide for yours as well. So demonstrate your trust in him by not worrying about all that stuff. Go and let God meet what he knows you need. Church. Does that mean we ought not save? Of course not. Does that mean we ought not be good stewards that we should just, you know, don't care about? Of course not. But what it means is we should never see our responsibility as something we have to fund. Because it's not our mission. Now, God chooses to use us and his funds that he channels through us to meet the needs that he has and wants to accomplish with us. But we don't ever have to wring our hands and wonder, how in the world are we going to be able to find this thing that God's called us to do? He's like, you're worrying about the wrong thing. In fact, your worry is a wrong thing. If I've called you to something, I'm going to provide. And I'll teach you how to use my stuff all along the way. He says, I want you to trust me. And I want you to demonstrate your trust in me. Man, what would that look like? That looked like all kinds of things that you could do as an act of trust. You know, so, sometimes you might, you might get a little extra that you weren't expecting to get. And just out of... Out of almost nowhere, it seems to you that God's saying, hey, you know what I want you to do? I want you to bless that brother that you know lost his job, lost her job. You know that they've had a medical situation in their house. Maybe they have great insurance. Maybe they don't. You don't know. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to take that little extra, and I want you to trust me with it. I want you to give it to them. You're like, yeah, but Lord, you know I got that thing coming up, and I got to, you know. And he's like, I, I know about that thing. In fact, I know about that thing you don't know about yet. I got that under control too. And it's, it's, it's a willingness to go, okay, Lord, it's yours. <laughs> Here you go. Look, can I just tell you something about your pastor? That's a hard thing for me, man. I, you know, I mean, we, we're not retirement ready. I won't, I won't retire. I might have to quit. Stacy have to keep working. I mean, we're not there, you know, because... She was looking at her purse. I was hoping she wouldn't catch that. <laughs> look, you know, God said, look, stay in it. Be good stewards. Exercise my principles. But, you know, when I say do this, well, just do it. Trust me. Well, that's what we need to be able to do as a church. We'll talk about that in about an hour. Whoo. It's going to be fun. It's going to be great. Why? Because we're on his mission. No better place to be than his mission. He always provides. We got to hurry. Actually, y'all doing fine. I got to hurry. Instruction number three. Verse number seven. And remain in the same house eating and drinking what they provide for the laborer deserves. His wages do not go from house to house. The people were used to these itinerant philosophers. These folks had just traveled around talking about their philosophy or the philosophies of the great teachers from Greece and, and, and others around. They would go around and they would teach and they would pre even, even some of their own people, the traveling uh, rabbis would go around. And, and it was well known that when the rabbi came around that you had to put out your best. Well, you wanted the rabbi in your house, so if, if, you, if your neighbor next door was prepared to serve him, you know, a, a nice meal with a little mint on his pillow, then you wanted to make sure that the rabbi knew that you were able to afford two mints. You know, and a smoothie in the morning for breakfast because you wanted them because you valued their presence. And here's the thing. Those itinerant teachers, they knew that too. And so they'd go in the first house and they'd kind of see what they got going on. And someone else would come toward the latter part of the day and say, hey, would you mind coming to stay with us tonight? And they would just ask, well, well, what do you have to offer? Because what I have here is pretty nice. Well, I, what we've got is da da da. Well, okay. Well, thank you for your hospitality. I'm going to go stay with them for a while. Well, I mean, you don't see that happen too many times that you start going, oh, okay, I get it. I get it. Jesus says, look, y'all represent me. 
Wherever you end up, whether it's a good situation for you or bad, stay there. Because the instruction is this. You represent me, you've got to learn how to exercise godly contentment. Don't be looking for better opportunity. It happens in pastoral ministry all the time. Guys start somewhere and then get, you know, a little something under his feet and then a better opportunity will happen. Folks will come from there and they'll sit in the back and they'll come to us and say, hey, we, we like what we're seeing and hearing. Would you come be our pastor? Well, what's that look like? Well, it looks like this much more in salary and this much better. You know, and it happens. It's unfortunate, but it's a reality. Jesus is like, don't do that. You represent me, and I'm not looking for the next best thing. I am the best thing. I'm here to provide that for everyone. Don't let them mistake me for one of those traveling charlatans. And how are they going to get that pre-look at me? By how they see you. How does the world get a glimpse of Jesus? By looking and listening to those who call him Lord. What kind of picture are we giving them today? Man, I'm afraid more often than not we're giving an inaccurate look of our Savior through our actions. But he says, as representatives of me, this instruction is exercise godly contentment. Don't be accused of seeking more and better for yourselves. Instruction number four, verse number eight. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. We did that in India. We ate a lot of curry. I don't like curry, but we ate it. Amen? That's where we were. And you, you know what we didn't use when we ate it? Silverware. Just scooping it right up, right in the mouth. Now, they offered us silverware, I think because us trying to do what they do actually grossed them out, I think. <laughs> but, but we didn't use the silverware. We're like, uh-uh. Y'all going to put it in there with your hands? We're putting it in there with our hands. And we, hey, you know what? hey, look, hospitality. Accept it. Eat what they set before you. Heal the sick. Whenever you enter a town, they receive you. Eat what they give you. Heal their sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near you. Well, you, you start, folks receive you, then, then be honored to be in their presence. Sit with them in their circumstance. Don't, don't make them come to you. You go to them. They sitting on the ground, sit on the ground. They eat with their hands, eat with your hands. If all they've got's bread, thank God for the bread. And sit around them and confidently declare the blessings and the greatness of the kingdom of God that is near to them. Not they're waiting on, it's near now. And be excited about that. But, verse 10, but whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, some of y'all are going to like this, go into its streets and say, like I know sometimes that there's some of y'all that would love to just go out into the city square and just declare how you're feeling. Most of y'all are a bunch of jerks and I wish that you would go away and leave me alone. That's, that's not what he's doing, but it kind of sounds like that's what he's doing. He says, go out into its streets and say this. Even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. You've rejected the message of the kingdom. You've rejected the name of the kingdom. Understand this. We're going to leave you alone. We're going to knock the dust off of our feet. We're going to walk out of here in confidence that our message is true. Nevertheless, know this. That the kingdom of God has come near to you too. You can reject it if you want. But it's come near. And that's on you. And then go on. Jesus says, faithfully minister, instruction number four. Faithfully minister to those who embrace Jesus. And confidently move on from those who reject him with a clear reminder of the consequences. Now, for them, this was a temporary ministry. He's not saying to us, folks, come in. If they seem to reject Jesus, go, well, I ain't talking to them no more. 
That's not what he's called us to do. We've been called to represent Christ with the message of the gospel to all. Maybe they don't hear it today, but they'll receive it tomorrow. I'll give you a little hint, too. These guys were just showing up in the town where Jesus was going to go. Maybe they rejected on Friday when they heard from this duo, but when Jesus showed up and began to preach and to do the works that he was able to do, maybe many of them came. So this is not a complete rejection. It's just a matter of saying if they reject the message when it is accurately presented, don't sit there and argue with them. Don't, 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 don't say to them things that are going to cause them to hate you and not ever want to talk to you again. Just be confident in the message. Hey, I get it. I, I, hey, I'm going to walk away from this argument. I don't want to argue with you about it, but I know this. The kingdom of heaven is real. And the consequences of rejecting him are real. Jesus goes on to say, well, what's that? Well, I'll tell you. Insight number three. We've got four instructions and two insights. Here's insight number three. Verse number 12. Verse number 12 says, I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day. What day? I think Jesus is referring to that day identified by the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, that, that day. The day of the Lord. What is that day? I think that's the lion day. I think that's when the lion shows up and do what the lion do. Okay? That's what I think. But he says, I tell you, on that day, at least on that day when judgment is experienced, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom. Anybody remember what happened to Sodom? Like fire down and destroy it, boom. And its neighboring sister city, Gomorrah, just pow, just fire. It's going to be more bearable for Sodom that got leveled to the ground by fire than it is for those who hear the message and reject. Now you say, Pastor Kevin, what's that mean? That means don't reject. (laughs) I mean, you know, right? It's going to be more bearable for Sodom. He says, woe to you, verse 13, woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. Woe, it means what sorrow awaits you. Boy, I hate to be you. Who are are Chorazin and Bethsaida? Two small towns in the area of Galilee that had spent a lot of time with Jesus in their area. And yet, as a whole, had decided, yeah, we don't want him. Maybe a few, uh, I think Bethsaida was, was the hometown of, of folks like Phil, uh, Peter and Andrew and maybe, maybe also Philip. But as a whole, they had said, nah, nah we're not cool. You, you can carry that on. We don't want, we're not interested in that. He goes, look, woe to you, Sodom. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, what are these two towns? Well, if you read your Old Testament, you'll discover that Tyre and Sidon are like the poster cities for debauchery in that Old Testament. It's like, woe to you. It'd be better for you guys who know than it is for you, New York City, for you, L.A., Vegas. We won't talk about that. Right, so it's this idea of you go, hey, are those centers of godliness and righteousness? You go, no way. Well, Tyre and Sidon to the Jewish people represented like the worst of the worst of Gentile paganism. And they had actually experienced judgment in that Old Testament time. He says, for the mighty works that were done in you, Bethsaida, and Chorazin, and Capernaum here in a minute, if those works would have been done in Sidon and Tyre, they would have repented. They would have repented long ago sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will be exalted into the heaven? I don't think so. You shall be brought down to Hades. What does that sound like? That sounds like bad news for those who reject Christ. And he goes, hey, you three Jewish towns, woe to you. It's going to be better for them wicked cities than it's going to be for you on that day. Because you had him present. You had him in your midst and you rejected. 
What's the insight? Here it is. You ready? The rejection of Jesus is guaranteed judgment. You say, how can you say that? Oh, I don't have to say it. He does. Now, what's that judgment look like? I can take some of the images. I can make out what I think it is. Bottom line, let's get it here. You don't want it. That's not what you want. What you want is to be brought into the family of God. What you want is to represent the family of God. But know this, as you are taking his message in his authority, you will be rejected. You will be disdained. And it ain't on you. It ain't on you because he follows up with the last insight right here in verse 16. He says, the one who hears you hears me. The one who rejects you rejects me. And the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. The final insight is this. It's two parts. Number one, Jesus directly ministers and speaks through those he sends as his representatives. If you know Jesus as Savior, then you're his representative and you've been sent and he speaks through you. He ministers through you. Those who hear you, hear me. That should cause us to tremble. Because are we giving those who hear an accurate representation? The last insight is this. One cannot expect a relationship with the one true God apart from Jesus. It doesn't matter what they say. Well, I, I, I'm following this way or that way. I'm sorry. I ri- I, I'm not being cute. I'm not being funny. I'm sorry. It just doesn't work that way. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This culture that we live in hears that. And says, that's exclusive and discriminatory, and you ought to be ashamed. And our answer must be, I'm sorry that it feels that way. I'm sorry that you're allowing the, 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 the philosophies of, of our culture and our, our place in time to, to make you think that exclusivity is a bad thing. Because it's actually a pretty good thing. Because exclusivity as a child of God means that we have everything He intends. And we have Him and He has us. You don't have a relationship with the Father except through Christ. So there's a lot of instructions, a lot of insights, a lot of things that you can glean upon. Bottom line is this. You represent Jesus if you know him as Savior. He's given you instruction on how to look and sound like him. He's given us insights on how not to present ourselves, on not how to take advantage. And he sends us out. And the cool thing is, he sends us out together as a body. And if you're a part of this body, then I think there's some insights that we'll gain from that when we come back from lunch. I'll share them with you then. Until then, let me ask you this question. Are you representing Jesus well right now? If you're not, it's as simple as, you know what, God, I I really, I love you and I thank you and I'm your child But I want to represent Jesus. I want to be a representative of the gospel. And God, that's where I want to be. Lead me in that way. And and we'll walk with you and he'll never leave you. And and we'll take those steps together. If you don't know him as Savior, boy, today would be a great day to just decide to leave behind everything else. And embrace him and him alone. He died for you. He rose to secure your salvation. He lives today. He walked with you. He'll lead you. And he's put us all together to be a part of that as well.
Don't leave here as empty as you came. Go home having been filled and ready to serve and ready to represent. Amen? Let's stand together. We'll pray. We'll be here for a little while today. Today would be an awesome day to say, hey, can we, can we spend a few minutes after the meeting's over? I, just want, I want to find out a little bit more about what we were talking about this morning. Absolutely. We'll do it. Maybe it is that, uh, that you'd like somebody to pray with you. I can't think of anybody more prepared to walk with you through difficulty than our brother Bill. So if you need somebody to pray with you, you'd like somebody to walk with you. While we pray, just shuffle over. Nobody's looking and, and know that you're not alone. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the day. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your son. We thank you that he sent out those 70, 72. He knows how many there were. We thank you that he sent them out knowing that they weren't ready for that. They weren't prepared. They were going to be imperfect. They were going to mess up. And yet, in your sovereignty, you, you chose to do that. And we're thankful for that because that's exactly how you send us as well. Broken, going to mess up, going to sleep in way too much. And yet, you spur us along. And I think that's what you did today with your word is you just reminded us that we've been sent with instructions and insights to lead our way. God, may we... Um, adjust ourselves to you. May we allow you to do the adjustment. May you use us in whatever way you see fit. We love you. We thank you. First in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, Amen.